Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Dash Podcast. I have a social justice leader here in Miss Lindsay Lyons. We're both members of the Teach Better team and the Teach Better Entrepreneur Mastermind. So I'm super excited to talk with Lindsay about how she creates these curricula in just two days. So we're, we're excited to get into that. But before we do, check us out at seleducators.com to learn more about our professional development, our consulting opportunities, and school engagement with your parents and whomever else is there. That's seleducators.com and at seleducators on YouTube. Miss Lindsay, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Trey. I'm so glad to be here. Likewise, likewise. It's, it's kind of, I guess, the, the, the best place to start would be obviously Teach Better. Shout out to the Teach Better team. Yep. And then Panorama. We're both doing work with yeah. Panorama. I've seen your name for the last six, eight months and didn't even recognize that we were in the same group until you mentioned something in the education mastermind. So um, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I, 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 I like the, we've got a similar mindset, a similar track of mind. Definitely. Yes. Totally in the same spaces, same agenda. I mean, we have the same business goals to retire our partners. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. Tell me, tell me about your business in, in educational justice coach. What does that mean? Because the concept is really cool to me. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to hear about how, how this works for you and how you're supporting school communities. Yeah. So I think I couldn't quite find a term that really felt like it resonated with me in terms of, you know, I have my own business and I kind of define for myself what it is that I do. And consultant just didn't quite work for me. Educational mm. like or instructional coach was a little bit closer. And then I was like, really, everything that I do is tied to educational justice. And that's mm. intersectional justice from all of the different kind of identities that we often talk about, race, class, gender, religion, language, like all of these pieces and so really, no matter what it is that I'm doing, that is the core value that is constantly driving me. And so I think that had to be part of whatever it was that I called myself. Mm -hmm. And so what's that, what that has looked like in my research, it's been very student voice-esque. So it is, how do we measure, how do we put the structures in place so that we're actually doing student voice in a way that is meaningful and not just like a choice board of two mm -hmm. do nows or something, right? And then in the curriculum work, it's very much like, how do we do this in a way that I think so much of our work in justice has been very tangential and very much like an add-on or a checklist. And it's like the work that we do in schools is like, what do we literally learn about every day and how mm -hmm. do we learn it? And so if it's not there, is it really justice? And so that's, that's a huge part of what I do as well. Yeah. Wow. That makes sense. Um, you started about three and a half years ago. Yeah. Why social justice? Oh yeah. So I don't have like a, a great answer to this question aside from, I think there is this deep kind of, I don't know if it's sadness or anger or some, some sort of mix of emotions of what my educational experience personally mm -hmm. as a high school student could have been and wasn't. And so I think sometimes teachers get into teaching either because they want to do it better than their teachers, or they had great teachers and they want to replicate that. And it's so great. They want to stay in education. And mm -hmm. so for me, I think it was that first one, like we can do this better. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think part of my, my undergrad, I was never going to be a teacher. My parents were teachers. I saw the grading and all the like exhaustion. And I was like, I don't want that. <laughs> and then I got to the end of my undergrad and I had two degrees, gender, women's studies and sociology. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And really it was all about the pursuit of justice in my undergrad. Mm. It was, you know, and then it was 
I think I was so exhausted from constantly trying to like unpack the harm or heal the harm that had been done in the work that I was doing a lot around, um, like intimate partner violence and, um, sexual abuse and things like this. And I was like, I just want to get to people before that happens. Mm. Like I want to prevent that from happening. And yeah. I thought working with youth is really the, the best path forward. Yeah. Now was that, um, I'm intrigued. I, I was a psychology major myself and I always had a passion for public speaking. I always, mm. they asked me in college, if money was no object, what would you do with your life? I said, I'd be a consultant travel and a public speaker. And that, that's what I'm doing. Like that's just back to kindergarten. Amazing. Go, you know, play baseball and be a psychologist. So I've just been who I am all my life. And it it similarly, the plan was not to become an educator, but the plan was to impact the next generation. And the best way to do that was by supporting the educators to impact the students in the classroom. Is there a similar drive or, or motive? You you said something about when you were in high school, your experience could have been different or where does that drive for justice come for you? Yeah, I think that's the best answer that I've kind of found so far is that I really think, I mean, I had one teacher who, so I'm, mm. I, you know, I grew up in like a very rural upstate New York area where it was like mono everything, monoracial for the most part, monolingual for the most part, mono like religious. I don't think that's a word, <laughs> but like same kind of a general social socioeconomic status, like everything was very um, homogeneous. And our instruction mirrored that, like the curriculum, the books we were reading, like English classes are really good go-to of like, we're reading like the canon or whatever, you know, that is like the, mm -hmm. the, all the things that we typically read. And then I had one teacher who incidentally was not from the area. So he had moved here from England and he's introducing, um, their eyes were watching God, um, uh, the awakening. So like mm -hmm. female writers and like, we're exploring race and gender and, all sorts of interesting ideas that I had never explored before. And it took me to 11th grade to get someone from outside of the community come in to talk about this. Yeah. And I was like, why was there not more, yeah. you know, whether it's outside or whether it's inside the community doing that work. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I was looking for too. And it's interesting to me because I don't necessarily see, you know, you, I, I see often the folks that were taken advantage of or disenfranchised or coming from the mud or, you know, they they were, were deep in the trenches and they decided to make the change that way. I think it's an interesting perspective to see the other other side of the coin, because I think a lot of folks um, who are not in impoverished areas or mi minoritized communities, you just don't know. You know, you, you just it, it doesn't matter. and Nobody's ever going back to look at, hey, you know, I, I call it black privilege for me. You have white privilege in, in some instances. Oh, yeah. Most folks don't check that privilege, though, or aren't interested in repairing harms and going back, especially when you hey, this really isn't affecting me. But what like that's the piece that that was interesting to me and engaging to me. So is it important to you? I've, I've heard it said that, you know, if you're not from a community, it's important to immerse yourself in it until you understand it. So is it a case where you want to be an ally and say, hey, justice is for everybody, you know, yeah. black, white, whatever, like you don't need a diversity curriculum just because you're in a diverse population. You need to understand diversity if you're in the Hamptons or, or wherever you're at. Is, is, am I going somewhere with that? Absolutely. So I think uh, just to name a couple of like Black, anti-racist, feminist women who I have learned from that are just like guiding lights for me. Um, one is Africa Fanny Mills, who 
Uh, she wrote a book called open. Oh, I always get this wrong. Open windows, open minds. Um, and she talks about how we don't label like white kids who are sheltered from curriculum where they get to learn about people who are not white as at risk, but they're totally at risk, right? They're at, yeah. at risk. Cause they're like missing out on like the global majority of people who are not mm -hmm. white and like all of these experiences and all of these histories. And like, we are doing a total disservice to like white kids or literally any demographic you would want to insert there by not learning that it like experiences that are not your own, you know, and we, we never frame it that way. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's brilliant. And then another one is Dr. Sheree Bridges, Patrick, who I've done a lot of work with, and she is a, a critical race um, or like a, uh, what does she call it? A racial discourse scholar. There we go. Mm. And it's really fascinating. She studies race in discourse in workplaces and it is fascinating. Wow. Yeah. And she, she has talked to me about, um, you know, as a, as, as a white woman, like I have to do this work for me. I can't do it for her or for someone else. Mm. If you, if you do the work for yourself, that's what sustains you. And you also then see the value of it in a way, uh, that you don't, if you're just kind of being a white savior, you know, and you're just kind of coming in like, I'm helping, yeah. right. Yeah. It's a very different vibe from I'm doing this work because like it chips away at my humanity to see injustice happen. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. yeah. So cool. So cool. <laughs> I appreciate the perspective and I'd be curious. And, and, you know, I, I want to get real with you too. And I've been thinking about this for a while, never really said it out loud. I was thinking about it in the mastermind to one question before I get there. Um, let me write this down so I don't forget. Before <laughs> I get there, you, I lost it already. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode. Okay, I'm just, oh, there it is. I got it, I got it. Sorry, I'm not deleting this either. We're just gonna roll. Perfect. I called a school district today, and... I've been trying to get on the phone with somebody to figure out their priorities for the last month. And one person, the instructional coach, sent me to the learning environment coach. The learning environment director sent me to the director of student interventions. Oh, I don't, I don't own SEL. Oh, you know, SEL isn't for instruction, it's for learning environments. Well, we don't own SEL and learning environments, actually an intervention. It's like, what's wrong with y'all? Do, do you yeah. not understand that this is for everybody? And the first word I said is professional development. Y'all don't have these skills, okay? And, and it is frustrating because it's like, I know that I could add value to you. Now, pointing the thumb, I'm not doing a good job of that if you keep passing me around. But it, it's just weird to me that y'all don't understand that you need to develop. And that SEL isn't for a department, it's for the world, you know? And so that's 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 just the interesting thing to me. How have you've been received when you're going to school districts and what is that conversation like? That is so fascinating because yes, it is very much like, well, I don't own this. So therefore I'm going to pass you off to like total same experience, whether you're talking about SCL, which I do some like, like we've talked mm -hmm. about like through Panorama and stuff, but also whether you're talking about like justice, that's really interesting, right? We've, we've, we've kind of had this, uh, what some have termed the racial reckoning right after the police murder of George Floyd. And, and what has come of that in some ways has been helpful because we have like DEI positions, but by creating those positions, You're isolating. We've, right, we've isolated it to like only this person deals, but as opposed to integrating DEI or whatever you want to label it into everything, right? Like justice should be as part of the curriculum team, as part of the policy, as part of the 
uh, you know, student club advisors, like everyone, right? Like the parent mm-hmm. outreach person and, and isolating it and siloing it is just doing a major disservice. And yeah. I've heard this from the coordinators themselves who are in these positions. Like I get thrown to them sometimes. And then it's like, yeah, but really like what you do, for example, is like often curriculum work or it's often policy work. And like, there are mm-hmm. other touch points that might actually be better served if we could infuse or, yeah. you know, center justice yeah. in these conversations. Yeah. So similar. If we go to the department's instruction, where does justice, where does SEL fit in? The teacher's mindset, the teacher's awareness of the student's past, or even you, you, I'm, you just mentioned, like I, I said that you were a justice leader and you gave kudos to the folks that you learned from, which is a, a great practice to not be the, the owner or white savior, whatever the label is. But it's um, in learning environments, just the same, it, it translates those areas. So just to mention that, and um, I'm getting to my the question that I was asking, that made me think of like segregation versus integration, since we're on social justice and during the integration times or during segregation, I should say, black school communities were really thriving and, and not yes. just school communities, but doctors, buses, systems. You hear about Black Wall Street and Tulsa, but there were many of those around the country. And part of the problem, even with, and obviously I'm glad that we integrated, I'm glad that everybody's together, but when integration happened, we black folks lost a lot of, they lost their economy, they lost the dollars um rotating in an economy we lost our great teachers we lost all this stuff through integration and this is almost the opposite where we're trying to keep things segregated but we should integrate them because they all work better together and in this case we're not losing all of the economy that we would be or like we did when we integrated in this instance will be expanding the community or the economy with the assets that we have. And so, yeah, any comments there? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was just at um, AERA, which I've been calling ERA. I don't know what it's called, but the the research organization. And I, I went to the most amazing panel that I've ever been to. And so I'll just, again, credit some some folks that I'm learning from. Dr. Bettina Love, who writes a lot about, about um, you know, the, the spirit murder of like children, like black and brown mm. children most often um, by the decisions that are made in this way. Like, right. She's talking about how, um, She's talking about how we have in this country public education because of black schooling societies, right? And mm. and, and um like uh black folks push for education for all people, right? It's a benefit that everyone now gets because thriving black communities are like, yeah, like this is this is what we want for our children. Let's have it for everyone, right? And she mm. she just positioned that as like that that drive for inclusivity, right? And that drive it comes from black folks, right? Thinking about um the Black Panther Party starting free lunch, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why we have free lunch in this country. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much wisdom and um brilliance. And as Dr. Goldie Muhammad says, genius, right? Um, when we study black historical literary societies, like she does, like so much of my work is grounded in her work. Um, because it's absolutely to your point, like thriving community. So how do we bring that thriving to systems that are currently in not thriving at all for, for anyone, right. Mm-hmm. For a very limited amount of folks. So I think I just want to say, echo your points and say, you're absolutely yeah. right on that. Yeah, uh, man. I, I think my next question too, thank you for, for saying that and, and iterating those points so eloquently. I think um, where I was going to is 
you know, Lindsay, I've been doing this a long time. So this is partly coaching for me. And I've got questions for you, but also just just wanted to hear what the conversation is. So when I look back over seven years I've been in business, there's very few white school leaders that I've worked with. I, I have they'll accept me on LinkedIn. I've got I've grown a thousand folks on LinkedIn a year. White people rarely respond to me. Wow. White people rarely schedule phone calls with me. White folks rarely come on my podcast. And it's similar to schools. Either you are with SEL or you don't know nothing about it. Or Black doesn't matter and it's a great opportunity for a podcast. Or I, honestly, I don't even know. So I, I, I wonder, and this is an open-ended question that I've just been thinking about recently. And I've worked with 18, 25 schools myself. Maybe three or four have had white school leaders that hired me. There was one this year, but it's 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 a rarity that white folks will like seek me out or hire me from my services. It's it's typically folks that are like my mother, middle-aged black women. We work together all the time, middle-aged black men all the time. But I, I for some reason, I just it just doesn't cross. I, can you help me out with that? Could, I, I don't know if there's anything to say there or or, or what. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like white supremacy in action <laughs> to me. I don't, I'm not sure that I have a, a great theory beyond that. Um, it is incredibly interesting to me and my own personal like interactions with white folks around terminology, like white supremacy or even mm -hmm. justice. Oh my gosh. I had one. This is, I won't name this individual, but very big in the educational podcasting space was on this person's podcast and was very wary of me using the term activism at all, had explicitly said, I don't want to talk about this on the podcast. And I was like, well, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. this is like all that I do. Um, and then had like almost this like coaching moment in the podcast that I, I think because of my whiteness was gained entry into the conversation, despite mm. this, like, you know, like parameter yeah, that was set in it. About. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so had this like very real conversation of just like, well, let's unpack what we think this word means. And like, we got to have the conversation mm. as part of the podcast. I never listened to the final edit. Maybe it didn't make it in, but <laughs> I, th I think that's like a really interesting, um, you know, so much of what I do is with PD is actually how to have the conversation. Mm. Again, my work being informed by Dr. Bridges Patrick, who I mentioned earlier on, on racial discourse, but like, it's literally, we need that training. Like you said, as adults, we need yeah. the PD to yeah. have the even conversations where we even mention something like race or justice or whatever it is. Mm. Um, so I do think there is definitely white supremacy operating there. And then also white supremacy operating, even in like, um, like two white people talking about mm. justice, right. And like, what is acceptable? And there's all sorts of kind of ties to that as well. Um, yeah that I think is really interesting in the way that yeah. it operates. Yeah. Become your best self with bestself.co. They have 90-day journals, six-month action plans, daily journals, gratitude cards, relationship cards, all kinds of things to help you become a better version of yourself. Visit bestself.co and use the code GAMAGE for 15% off your next order. Thank you for, for saying that. That's just been a curiosity of mine. Is there anything that, that you deal with yourself when you're reaching out? Because that's interesting to me. You know, I feel like when 
this is my assumption. When I reach out to some school communities, they assume who I am or they assume what I'm here to talk about. They assume my qualifications, even though it's all mapped out on LinkedIn and you can Google me and find whatever you want. I feel like there's just assumptions um, using panorama. The what is it? The, the inference ladder of inference ladder of inference. Yeah, will see me and jump straight to conclusions. Do you see that in in on your end? Are you would you reach out to uh, black school leaders or white school leaders or diverse school leaders? How are they receiving you? Is it the same? Is it different? Yeah. Oh, that's an amazing question. I, I think that my whiteness grants me the benefit of the doubt, honestly, regardless of who I'm reaching out to, honestly. Mm. So, I, I mean, I do think there is an element from, from folks of all racial backgrounds who have kind of been like, all right, you're this white person coming in to talk about race and like yeah, other yeah, things yeah. like that, which is incredibly valid. Like that is like a valid, like, okay, like let's hold up and make sure that you're actually, you have some semblance of like experience with this or knowledge about this. Um, and, and I do think in addition to that initial kind of like questioning, there is like, I'm willing to hear you out mm. like, and, and willing to have the conversation. And I think typically after I'm able to sit down with someone about it, um, we're able to have the conversation and we're able to like kind of arrive at like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is kind of where we're going to go forward or that we want to work with you or whatever. Um, but it's interesting because there has been so much rejection. I, I don't actually know what goes on in the people's fair. minds, you know, who don't yeah, even engage. Yeah. Um, so there might be that, that I'm just like not sure because I've never had the ability to talk to those folks. Mm. But I, I definitely do think there's a lot operating like, within the context. I mean, just coming back from that conference this weekend, the context of what's happening, so many of the sessions were framed around like the legal decisions being made in specific states about, I mean, even, you know, in, interacting in some of these bigger organizations that we we work mm -hmm. with, um, like the legislation really impacts organizations and individuals' ability to go in and like say truth right and yeah. to like speak truth to power and all of that and so there is kind of this like heaviness that I think people are trying to navigate and I would insist and I, I look to a lot of people a lot of people smarter than myself um, for wisdom on this because I'm not currently teaching so I think that's another factor I'm not currently in a school position I do work for myself so I have that flexibility to just be like this is what we're doing mm -hmm. but I have had so many people say to me yeah we want to do this we're just not in a position even in Massachusetts like even in a in a community where there is none of the laws mm. but the atmosphere of the country as a whole is totally yeah. plaguing, you know, like often white, rich, like moms, right. Who are saying, oh, I'm going to now make my voice heard and revoke any possibility mm. of my kid feeling guilty or whatever the language is. Right. Yeah. Um, and depriving their own kids of, of great curriculum. So I think there's a lot of that going on too. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes sense. That, that makes total sense. There was a podcast that I was listening to recently as well. And they spoke about how, you got to be careful with trends and how folks will will set standards and then it becomes normalized. So an example they used was maybe it was the 60s or World War II times. Cigarettes were for men and they wanted it was taboo for women. So this marketer figured out how to get women to smoke, making it more of a rebellion. 
And so when women would protest, I think around the, the Rosie the Riveter time, I, I forgive the timeline, but Rosie the Riveter time, women would start to, when they would go to protest, they were handing out cigarettes. And that was a form of protest, protestation and, and you know whatnot. And so now fast forward 50 years and it's just normal. Men smoke, women smoke, it's for everybody. But at one point, it was just for men. They mentioned another comment with purses and like masculinity and, and really defining another good point here. We, we talk about toxic masculinity. Nobody talks about healthy masculinity. And that's a real problem because, you know, whatever the case is. But um, in the example, they said like women wear purses, but now with the way fashion is going, men can wear purses too. It makes sense. It makes money, you know, and you can look at other cultures and say, well, folks in Africa wore dresses or, or Scottish folks wore kilts. That's not what they called it, though. It wasn't called a dress. It wasn't called a purse. We're just using this as for capitalism to be able to gain or, or to do whatever the case is. Um, but I think that's a, a, a interesting example that we might be living through right now as it relates to social emotional learning, equity and justice. There's narratives being set right now that in 50 years, justice and social emotional learning are just going to be what everybody does or it's going to continue to be something that's isolated and segregated uh, based on your preferences and you know perhaps skin color as well yeah and I, I mean I am really hoping that like we always look to this next generation to like save us or whatever but I'm really <laughs> hoping that like you know this next generation of activists is just mind-blowingly amazing from what I've seen you know mm -hmm. and, and just I think there's so much value and like as educators we have this this time right now where it's like we can do this thing we can help these amazing kiddos be activists and advance justice and we're shying away from it we're often self-censoring and many times because of the larger climate mm -hmm. there's no immediate legislation in your district or your state and you're like ah oh, but it could be so maybe I'll just nope and yeah. it's like no this is when we do it like this is the time got to we got to get it in there now that's that's perfect thank you Lindsay thank you this was good this was very this was a coaching session for me more than it was a podcast just had to get some stuff off my chest a little bit it. thanks for letting me share with you before we do go Lindsay can you walk me through um, perhaps the a, an example curriculum you've worked on um, or co-collaborated with either like a specific unit or just walk me through that process that two-day process yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I'm very, um, it's very front of mind right now coming out of this conference, because my, my work as a researcher is very interesting in that it is somewhat distinct from what I do in practice sometimes. And I want to really blend the two very much in the student voice field in terms of research. And one of the things that we really know is that students often like are, um, they have opinions, they have, they have things that they want to learn. And if left to their own devices, often we'll learn lots of great things. Mm -hmm. And it's often, uh, again, same panel that I was referencing before with Dr. Bettina Love, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, like it, they're referencing that often it's white supremacy, a teacher coming in and saying, we know what's best for you to learn, right? Like, and we're going to talk mm -hmm. about it this way. So I think one of the things that's first and foremost is that my work enables teachers to design flexibly so we have authentic student voice. So I kind of work with folks to kind of come up with what are the protocols that enable students to talk 75% of the time, each class period, 75% of the time the students doing the work. That means the teacher does not get to talk much. Right? Yeah. And so how do we do that? What's the unit arc that hooks the student's attention, gives them a base of knowledge, allows them that flexibility to do independent research or tell you the case study that they want to learn about or whatever. Mm do that, give a ton of project time, and then publish via a civic action project or activism project 
where they're actually choosing to apply their learning to a problem in the community wow. and actually make an impact. So that's kind of the arc we go through. We'll choose like a driving question. What's the final publishing opportunity for the activist project? And then what are like the lesson level details protocol wise? Mm -hmm. So I've worked in a variety of like different, normally it's ELA and history is kind of like my jam because that's what I taught. But no matter what the unit is, the arc is usually very similar. And so that's kind of the foundation because then you could go in and teach any group of students with any sort of interests, needs, skills, and you just get to personalize from there with the mm -hmm. student input. So a lot of it is how do we co-create with students? So it's almost kind of like a two-day intensive on co-creation. Mm. And we do come out of it with units, but they're not completely like you will read this text for five minutes and then you will ask this question. It's very much like, how do I design so that I can go into this class and really co-create in the moment with students? Love it. Love it. You got a lot of good stuff going on here, Lindsay. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited you. to be uh, to see you grow and to, to be able to grow with you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you want the folks listening to know? Um, I don't think so. I think just kind of naming that so much of my work is ongoing and evolving. And I went to this conference, for example, to present. And I, the first thing I said as the conference was beginning or, the, you know, I'm, I'm starting my presentation is, I'm presenting an academic study that I did five years ago. Mm. I am part of a panel of people who have written a book chapter for this book, which was written two years ago. Mm. I just sat through, you know, two days of conferences. And now I probably want to redo my entire presentation based on mm. just what I learned in the last 48 <laughs> hours. So I think this constant like yeah. um, grasp around learning and yeah. evolving is the work right? Mm. It's, we don't have to be yeah. right all the time. Like we yeah. are growing and learning and that's, that's what it is. So enjoy that journey. Yeah. I, I love that. And that, that translates as well. That that's not just education. That's not just business. That's everywhere. We've, we've got to grow. And, and where can the people find you at Lindsay? Yeah. Most places, Lindsay Beth Lyons on, on, on the socials. I'm not a big social media person. So my website is probably the best place, lindsaybethlyons.com. And then I also have a podcast time for teachership, which is probably where you'll find all the, all the great stuff. That's it. That's it. And I'll be joining you on that soon. To I'm so excited. Develop the curriculum as well. So uh, this is perfect. Lindsay, thank you for your time. Thank you all for listening. If you like this episode, share it with someone who needs to hear it. Go check out Lindsay on her website, lindsaybethlyons.com. We'll be sure to put that in the description. And also listen to the episode on YouTube, SEO Educators. Subscribe and like if you have not. Visit our website for support for your school community. And we'll see you next time. This is The Dash. Thanks for listening to us on The Dash Podcast. I definitely hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you liked it, Share it with a friend, share it with an educator, share it with someone who needs to hear the message from this episode. You can visit our website, seleducators.com to learn more about our online courses and professional development training for schools and districts. We'll see you next time. This is The Dash.